it's challenging. I've lost some good friendships and really tethered some relationships just through the business. Like early on, like you get involved with some friends and things don't work out and it, it never ends as pleasantly as you'd assume. Probably have had three significant other relationships that have come to an end. And, and I got smarter about this over time of setting expectations up front of saying, hey, this is my number one priority. I've said this explicitly before you've all, where I have said, hey, I want to be transparent. My number one priority is like forage. My number two priority is like my personal like well-being. And my number three priority is like training for this Ironman. And my number four priority is like community, which like you're probably a part of, but then like you're explicitly my number five priority. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Parker Olson and dive deep into hats one, three, and four, the soul, servant, and the entrepreneur, as we take a ride in the forge van, cruising through the entrepreneurial landscape, fueled by dedication and a love for his product. A truly inspiring young entrepreneur, Parker is the founder of Forge, a rapidly growing consumer packaged goods company that offers innovative, high quality, and award-winning granola enriched with vital brain nutrients derived from mushrooms. And the coolest part is that Parker's passion for his brand has led him to travel across the country in his trusty van, personally promoting his products and connecting with customers. His commitment to sustainability and ethically sourced ingredients has earned him a loyal customer base and widespread industry recognition. Parker's determination and entrepreneurial spirit have taken Forage from a small startup to a flourishing business, significantly impacting the CPG landscape. So if you're ready to take our trusty van for a ride, riddled with the ups and downs of a young entrepreneur, then let's welcome Parker to the Seven Hats. Parker, welcome to the Seven Hats. Woo! It's going to be good. Yeah. Can we get a little fist bump and through the camera really quick? Right there. Boom. All I right, love we're it. in. All right, we're in. All right, back in 2020, I have to tell you, I made a choice to fully commit to LinkedIn, as I think you have in the past couple of years. And I built my personal brand, right? Honestly, I wasn't quite sure what to anticipate, but I'm certainly glad that I took that leap though. And one of the most fulfilling aspects of putting myself out there has been the relationships that I formed over time. And one of those connections is with you, my friend. You caught my eye as someone who doesn't conform to the norm. You know, you're a young, spirited CPG founder with a can-do, whatever-it-takes attitude. So I'm thrilled that we get to share your story with the Seven Hatters today. And as with every great story, there's a beginning. So Parker, let's find out where it all started. Where were you born and how was your childhood like? Yeah, I like, I like that. We're diving into some, into some psychological background here. So we're going <laughs> to open up the doors and, and, and unleash the demons, you all. I love it. <laughs> you can just hear all the Seven Hatters like tune in right now <laughs> to understand what kind of demons am I going to witness at this point? Yes. Yeah. As I slowly backpedal out, out, out <laughs> of the frame. Um, yeah. So I, um, I am from Massachusetts. I'm, I'm from right outside of Boston, a, a small suburb, uh, an, an affluent suburb called Newton. I'm the youngest of, of three brothers. Grew up, my parents are from the Midwest, migrated east for, for a father's job. We're all four years apart. In, in age group. And growing up, I would say, you know, common characteristics that uh, that were defining or, or, or referenced. Talkative would probably be number one. 
talkative or doesn't shut the fuck up. I I think <laughs> I, I, I think are synonymous here. And I think my parents, uh, there were certain times where they definitely felt like I was annoying, but talking to strangers was in my toolkit since since day one. Like I would talk to anybody and quite frankly, everybody. Um, and I would slide into random scenarios because I would just chat up anybody and I like wasn't afraid to ask for things, right? So, you know, we would go to uh, baseball games growing up and, you know, you can like go on the field. And so I would either just ask someone like who, who I saw had a wristband if I could walk in with them or, or I would just hop the fence and go pretend to be part of their family. So I definitely was audacious, you know, a light rule breaker. And I think part of that was... A, being the third and probably not having like, you know, a ton of attention earlier on, early on. And I had, a, I have a lot of energy, but B, my middle brother, whose name is Kyle. My oldest brother's name is Brendan. Kyle and I looked like very similar growing up. Mm. So early on, I was re- my sort of reference or, or my name to a lot of people were like, oh, like you're Kyle's brother. Um, <laughs> Teachers would call me that, like his friends, like family friends, right? Because he was above me in school. So like same teachers would see me and be like, oh, you're Kyle's brother, like mini Kyle, right? And, and so I think I like suffered early on, you know, and I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't mean to speculate on my own past here, but I, I think I suffered early on as, as like this almost like imposter syndrome. Like I was just a, a clone of somebody else. And you know, you've all, and I'm sure you've seen it. Like, and and I and I pride myself on it today of of very much so being a unique individual and and trying unique things and 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 not following the path. And so, you know, who knows? Like, it it could be some some deep rooted psychological principle. I'll pause. Do you have do you have any commentary on that before I continue? I, I will. I will ask though. So, tell me about your your brothers. Were they really successful as they were maturing? Were you compared to them in terms of just looks or were they just super successful, great at sports, great at school, and and you were just kind of falling behind and had to prove something? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely all kind of, you know, progressed along the same sports tracks, right? Like running was was always a big sport. Uh, We all did swim for a while, like baseball. Um, I would say my oldest brother, like he kind of latched on more to like hockey and he was good at hockey and neither of Kyle or I ever played hockey. So, so I, there, there was less comparison there. There was definitely more comparison between Kyle and I and for sports that Kyle was good at, which he, w- he was pretty good at baseball. When I like started playing Little League, a lot of the like I was taken as a top round, but you've all I kind of suck at baseball. <laughs> However, with that said, I, I was probably like the strongest runner growing up yeah. and, and swimmer. So I, I think I held my own in, in sort of my own capabilities and 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 felt confident in, in, in and of myself. But yeah, there, there was definitely some competitiveness and, and, and always comparison there, right? Of like, oh, like how did, how did Kyle play in the sport or, or what was he doing and, you know, versus what am I doing now? And, and coaches would always reference it. Um, so, so there definitely was some of that. My oldest brother w- was also a really good runner, but there was just less comparison there because there was a little bit bigger of a gap. But you guys got along. It wasn't too competitive. Like, was it a good relationship be- between the, no. the brothers? No, no, no I mean, my oldest brother was sort of like peacemaker. And then my middle brother would just like, trigger me all the time. And I would get super upset. I have, I have vivid memories of chasing him around the yard with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> I threw a rock at him once and, and hit him in the face and he had to get stitches because he was, he was triggering me, you know, that sort of went away over time. Um, but he, he enjoyed sort of triggering me and, and making a, a joke of me, but I definitely, he paid for it a couple times. I think I pushed him out of a tree once and then I hit him in the face with the rock. So he, He's he's he has a couple of battle scars from from the from the wow. tantalizing I, me era. Are you guys close now, or what's the relationship look like now? Yeah, yeah, we are. I'm, I'd say I'm pretty close with like everyone in my family at, at this point. And but yeah, especially my brothers. Like we all stay in touch. He interestingly enough, and and we may, we'll maybe get to this, but he lives out of like a, a sprinter van or or like a, <laughs> a full time van, and he was building his van for two years. And two weeks before he was finished, I went out and I bought the forage van and moved into it less than a week before he moved into his. And then everybody thought that he copied me, which oh, I thought wow. was, was That's ironic. So funny. Well, we won't talk about van. Just just yeah. know that a van will be coming up in our discussion very shortly. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, tell me about your parents. So how did they raise you? What were they doing? What was their skill set and job? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So my, my mom was, you know, early on and 
kind of a little bit more of a stay-at-home mom in, in retail merchandising. My dad was was the primary breadwinner. You know, was was sort of high up in the in the marketing sales function at at, at a large software company at the time. And then you know, I, I believe kind of right after dot com, they had they really struggled. My, you know, my father lost his job. It, it was very it was it was it, it wasn't like we were struggling. We were definitely up upper middle class. But then my mom sort of became the primary breadwinner, and, and and now both my parents work. My mom's in real estate, and she does a great job. She's a workaholic, like, and she loves it. Like, it isn't like she like is a workaholic and hates it. Like, my mom is in love with the game. But the the raising style was was sort of tough love, like always, you know. We have a lot of commonalities. I also ran uh, track in high school. My mom was in real estate when mm. when she was living in in New York, and I remember one time. I I was probably in my teens, early teens. I was driving, I was riding a bike. I fell off the bike and my hands were like all bleeding and, and shit. And I would just, I, I came home crying and saying, mom, you know, look at my hands. She's like, just go wash them and get some band-aids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's like, yeah. totally didn't even pay attention to me. So yes, yes. Uh, the traumas of growing up, which is probably why we eventually became CPG folks, as I told you. <laughs> yeah, no, in, enjoy the pain, can can handle the pain. But yeah, yeah, that, that was sort of their, their general style, which, you know, I, I think I looked back on very fondly. Of, honestly, yeah. because I, I think it, it built a lot of self-sufficiency of course. In, into my nature. Um, and, and I'd imagine you would, yeah, yeah, like you would agree with that. Yeah. You see, you're a creative guy and, and very social. What was the dream? You know, you're in high school mm. now and you're you're kind of doing your thing. And that's where you, you basically try to figure out who you are, right, initially. Mm-hmm. So co- high school and college. Tell yeah. me about those high school and college years. What yeah. did you want to do? How was that like? Was there any pressure from your dad or your mom in, in going a certain direction? Is that the direction you wanted to go? Give us a little mm-hmm. bit of history there. Yeah. You know, and funny enough, I probably until maybe even senior year of high school, I really wanted to be a dentist. I kind of thought dentists had it made. I was like, look, you're, you're making good money. You're a doctor. You kind of get to hang out. It's social. Like you get to chat it up with people. It's a pretty straightforward job. Like I don't think there's a whole lot you can mess up being a dentist. Casual working hours. Like sounds pretty nice. <laughs> like I yeah. really liked the idea of being a dentist. And then and then I took a neuroscience course senior year through MIT, and I loved that. And mm-hmm. I and I applied to schools actually pre med for neuroscience. So you and went to I, MIT. I loved it. No, 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 no. It was it was a course offered through high school. Oh, through um, high school. Okay. And I loved it. And 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 the whole course was. The entire year was spent on what do drugs, anything from caffeine to psychedelic mushrooms to opium, what are they doing fundamentally to like your neural cells and like how does that impact behavior? And so that was the first time for me where I became like really fascinated in neuroscience and sort of like biohacking and like the understanding that like you can kind of control what uh, what sort of reactions are happening in your body by consuming different substances, positively or negatively. And interestingly enough, you know, you've all that was also the first time where I learned anything about psychedelic mushrooms. And really, my takeaway was overall positive. It was like there, there's a lot of really interesting value and, and benefits that like these mushrooms can have, and they're incredibly powerful, like in terms of being able to wield um, effects over the body and 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 you know impact behavior. So that that was. That was interesting for me. You know, I, I thought I was going to be a neuroscientist or neurosurgeon and loved it. And my parents, you know, my parents were always really open and, and hands off and supportive of, of what we wanted to do. And they always pushed us to go and, and explore and see other things and, and move away from home and, and go to college elsewhere, which, which again, I, I, I'm very grateful for because I know not all, all parents are, are quite like that. That was high school. And then going into college, I pretty quickly changed majors and, and realized that if I was going to major in neuroscience, I was going to be in school for like 15 years Forever, all, yeah. all in all. And, you know, basically like got into Greek life and, and kind of became really bought into the fraternity life for a while and was just like, all right, well, then I'm going to go to business school if I'm not going into neuroscience and Which chose fraternity? finance. I, I was in a SIG app or Sigma Phi Epsilon. Yeah, I was in Alpha Epsilon Pi. Okay, A Pi, yeah. Um, cool. And yeah, you know, when I was in business school, still majored in neuroscience actually in school, but I double majored in, in finance and neuroscience. And then through the, I went to the University of Minnesota, I was in the Carlson School of Management, also got um, a degree in, in entrepreneurial management. So that was still an interest. And college, freshman year, very formative experience. 
the first guy I met on orientation, we became mm -hmm. friends. He was, he was in my building and he, he was always working on his phone and, and doing something on Twitter. And I finally, I was just like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and he showed me, he had, he owned like five or six Twitter accounts that, you know, were anywhere from 300,000 followers to like 1.2 million followers. Wow. And so what he was doing was he's trading retweets with other big accounts to like get exposure to new followers and then driving them to a blog that he had built where he was running ads on it. And so I still remember the day I was like, okay, that's the coolest thing ever. I'm giving you, I will literally give you every single dollar I have to my name if you show me how to do that. And I gave him all my money. Like I gave him $3,216. Wow. And I was like, fuck it, I'm in. I, I'm like, whatever, I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Like I'm all in. I didn't even second guess it. Like I was like, this is cool. I'm in. And paid him on the money and he like helped me figure it out. Like he kind of showed me how to get set up. He used his accounts and his account's presence to help me build an account. Show me how to build a blog, how, how to run Google AdWords on it, like where to find good keywords with that, that would pay you a lot of ad money. And the Twitter account that I built was called Shit Your Parents Say. And yeah, I based it off of my own parents because my parents like they have hilarious, you know, euphemisms or whatever. And and it was, I, I thought, you know, I wanted to look for something that everybody could have in common. So Shit Your Parents Say uh, was born. I think I built it to like 800,000 followers. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Um, and he helps a lot with that, right? Like he helped me get up to probably like three, 400,000. And then after that, I could start to work with these other accounts that were around the same size. And then you're just trading retweets. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. December 18th, uh, 20, maybe 2014 was, was the highest grossing day for that blog. I made a thousand, I made over, I made a thousand and fifteen dollars that day. And I remember I was like, I've got an eight. I was like, this is it. You've all, I'm, 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 I'm in. <laughs> and you know, that ended up becoming really anxiety inducing. Um, I actually like folded. I honestly like could have sold the asset and I just was like, I became so like, triggered by it. I just like stopped and like, I don't even know if it exists anymore. I, I, I don't think it does. Cause I think I took it at one point and made it like forages Twitter. Oh, and man, I don't know. It's and so, and so out of college, you started working at a, where were you working? Yeah. Out of college, I was working at like what I call a tier two management consulting practice. So I was in Grant Thornton's strategy practice, you know, a lot of marketing focused consulting, some management consulting, a lot of like program management. And yeah, you know, that, that was kind of a strike to the face Evolve, if I'm being honest, I remember like, you know, pretty excited and, you know, I was feeling competent. I was feeling a little bummed. I really wanted to go to Bain, BCG or McKinsey. And I went to final rounds at, at two of those firms and just like didn't get an offer. And I, I think that was like the first time I, I cried in like years. I still remember like crying that day. And I go to this firm and I'm, you know, I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling very well equipped and like, you know, I'd done a lot of case studies. And then like three weeks in, it hit me that like, this kind of sucks. Like, like no psychedelic mushrooms in that. <laughs> no, no, no psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah, I had to like put on like an outfit, which is fine. I like dressing up, but yeah, I for me it was it was really the lack of autonomy, and and and, and I've come to realize that where like I was just like a pawn, and I really wanted to control what I was doing and, and be an individual, and I and I felt like that was very shackled. So for fun. Uh, and, and, and this was inspired by my oldest brother who was doing this during college while I was at the University of Minnesota. He lived in Minneapolis and was telling me about these things was um, I decided I would try to go like vegan for 30 days. But he had done like the whole 30 and talked to me about the tiger blood and he, <laughs> he was early in on keto and and I was I was intrigued. He, he, he knows his stuff. He, he, he's really into the stuff. He's passionate. And so, I, you know, I started with vegan and I thought, you know, I'm going to go vegan for 30 days. I don't really get it. Like, I don't know why people are vegan who, 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 you know, outside of people who care about environmental reasons, I don't understand it. Yeah. So I, I did that. I, I ate, was very strict, disciplined, ate vegan for 30 days. And it was interesting. Like I, about days, you know, I felt kind of crappy for a week or two. And then about day 14 to 17, it's kind of transitioned. It felt normal. I felt good. I was sort of documenting how I was feeling. I get to the end of the month and it was like fun for me. And it gave me some like fulfillment and like joy of like being autonomous so I recreated that for 18 months and I decided, then I went like whole 30, um, pescatarian, vegetarian, uh, keto, gluten-free, like any sort of common standard diet you can think of. I did. And for me, it became this like fun game, this fun, like sadistic type two game with myself. <laughs> I'm doing the sadistic type two game now with the, the lion diet. So oh, I don't know if you've heard diet? of that. 
The lion diet is a carnivore diet. Basically, the strictest form is steak, salt, water, butter. Done. That's it. That's all you eat. Wow. That's, wow. Okay, that's, cool. that's intense. But Good for you. It, I got to be honest. It, it's probably one of the best forms of, one of the best diets that I've ever tried. Because if you're looking at sharpness, clarity, energy, vitality, that diet is incredible, but okay, it's cool. hard to sustain, of course. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so, yeah, for me, like, you know, and, and I'll touch on this a little bit after, but I also, I started training for an Ironman during these 18 months. And part of that was honestly to make friends. Like I met some guys who I thought were cool and they were like, we're doing this half Ironman, you should do it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm in. And my takeaways from these 18 months were like, I want to just like have like a diet or a, or a nutritional regimen that is sustainable because a lot of them you can feel really awesome, but they're not super sustainable. And yeah. for me, like I, I was looking for something that I like just wanted to latch onto yeah. the number. And, and these are in no order, but like another takeaway was like whole food eating generally was like those diets were really positive. That yeah. It's just like super clean, whole food, fruits, vegetables, meats, fish. And then the other one was the month where I supplemented. So one month towards the end, I kind of ran out of like, you know, sort of, I guess what I would call commonplace diets. I supplemented like exclusively with these functional or medicinal mushrooms that Mm -hmm. I had been hearing about and got off of like everything else um, and was really diligent. And that month was like an incredible month. Wow. Which sort of, you know, starts to inspire and, and, you know, uh, you know, a little bit about Forage, which is the brand that I started. But I, you know, from there, dove really into the research and, and kind of it sort of reignited this interest and this love and this passion for neuroscience and started reading up on all of these mushrooms and all the awesome capabilities that that they have and, and awesome benefits they can have for the body. I joined our local mycological society, which is the largest mycological society in North America. I got into mushroom foraging. I sat on the board there for two years and became compelled and like really enticed by like mushrooms, uh, all the above. Like I love mushroom foraging. Like I like mushroom supplements. Like I'm, I'm pretty open about being um, an advocate for, for psychedelic use medicinally. And I just became so enthralled by mushrooms and felt like there are mushroom nutrients that can help address mass health concerns. Like how do we get these into people's diets? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of like the beginning ethos for, for Forage. Um, how did you come up with the name Forage? It's a cool name. Yeah, so Forage, like mushroom foraging, like it, it, it sort of is, is a play on words um, of like – yeah, basically mushroom forging and also like seeking your own provisions. So like it, it talks to the ethos of really trying to stay like clean whole food ingredients, which was a t- one takeaway from the 18 month experiment, but also like mushrooms and, and like mushroom nutrients. And and what did you do with the mushrooms? I mean, it's you're not just selling mushrooms, like what, what kind of product did you create? And how did that come about? Yeah, so early on, you know, I was making my own tinctures, my own supplements. You know, I was like hanging out at the apothecary, well, which which was quite funny. And um, you know, I tried a lot of the early products. Like I, I, I was getting targeted with mud water ads, so I tried mud water and I tried <laughs> Four Sigmatic, and I just didn't love them. Like it, I wasn't like I was willing to consume them, but whenever I would rave about it to friends or people in the office, I'd bring it in. And people were like, it's just not, doesn't taste good. And so it, it was a good like early learning for me that, you know, people aren't going to eat something or consume something that, that they don't really enjoy. And so for me, I started looking for ways that I, I could supplement with it um, in a way where it would taste really good. And mm-hmm. that was around where at the same time where like Ironman training was picking up and I was just like trying to dial in like a daily regimen of food. And every morning I would like, I was into really into oatmeal at the time. And so I started making this like overnight oats with these mushroom powders and extracts and got it to taste really good. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I'm going to eat this every day. And then that like evolved a little bit into a granola that was like more like shelf stable. And a a friend's sister at the time was helping me like develop the recipe. And she had a killer granola recipe that like we kind of uh, adapted into our V1 products. Wow. You know, uh, when you were born, I was getting out of college. Just so you know, I was starting my career, so I'm pretty old. But I have a question about your generation, which is Gen Z. Mm -hmm. What kind of perspective do you have from a Gen Z's point of view that, that influenced your approach in the CPG space? Because, I mean, every, every generation has their own viewpoint. And, and the way that I created my business, uh, the skincare line back in 2006, was, you know, kind of from a 
my generation's viewpoint and, and, and the ethics of how I was working and all of that, that stuff. But you were growing up completely different. I didn't have uh, cell phones and, and, and Instagram and, and anything, really. I had a library, basically, a library card. But that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> so it, the Atari, maybe. But, but yeah. now you're, you have everything at your fingertips, all the answers that you ever wanted. How did that influence you uh, yeah. as you grow in your business? I think for me, you know, it gives a sense of like anything's possible a little bit or like anybody can do anything. Like, I, and, and, and I don't know if I'm unique in thinking that. I wouldn't say I'm like super average run of the mill, like Gen Zer uh, in, in a lot of ways. I think I have some alternative thoughts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I feel like it was like, okay, like you can bring any product to any market, like through any channel. Like, like that's how I genuinely feel about, about the space to a degree. It's like, you could go and bring a hot sauce to the to the office space market, like only advertising on TikTok to office managers. Yeah. And like, you could probably go figure that out, you know? And so to me, it, it, it almost makes it more overwhelming because there's so many channels and there's so many opportunities and markets where like it, it feels like, like the opportunity is sort of endless and, and you have to take the approach of like, of, of defining the scope and like being careful about that. And, and I feel like I've struggled there, honestly. And, and I think a lot of people have. Yeah. What about, so now you have your, your CPG founder, you created a product, but you know, we know that ensuring product quality, right. And taste is a critical challenge totally. for CPG founders. And you knew that early on when you were formulating your product and obviously, you know, got granola involved the reason, though, is customer retention, right? Because you need to have a tasty product because customer retention depends so heavily on the, the shopper's satisfaction, right, with that initial purchase. Can you describe the journey of creating Forge's distinctive granola recipe, right, and, and share your approach yeah. uh, to making them appealing to a diverse customer? What did you do? How did you do the R&D did you go to local farmers markets to figure it out? Like, how how did that beautiful flavor come about? Yeah, and you know, I launched like 2020 right before COVID, so I, I feel like I feel like that it was you know obviously it was a really interesting time to launch, but like I feel like we actually didn't sell our product until like 2021, and 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 of course we were like we're kind of selling in 2020, but like I didn't I wasn't like oh like I gotta go like sell this product until 2021, which like goes to show like how naive I am in some ways. Like you've all, I'll never be the smartest person in the room ever. Like quite frankly, I'm totally cool with that. I I would prefer to like build an awesome network of people who are really smart and then help them out. And then also like when you need help in their expertise, they can help you. Right. Um, That's the right, that's the right approach. Never be the smartest person in the room. That's the good, that's a good good thing. I'm glad we're on It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yes. And so early on I was like, well, so a little bit also about the origin story is I was sort of making it for myself and I and I was like, oh, this is fun. And I was excited. And anything that excites me, I'm just going to keep pulling on a thread. Like the other day, I like saw a plant on the ground that somebody had thrown out the window. And I was like, oh, like I'm going to help this plant. And then I went and planted <laughs> it and I was like stoked on it. And now I, I just bought another tree to plant. You know, I'm just like, you just got to follow the lead. And so I was bringing it to the office and I found myself at a startup conference in um, – in Oakland, visiting a friend, really just to see him. And I, then, you know, you're at these happy hours and I'm like, cool, free beer. I'll absolutely go to these. And, and I love <laughs> chatting with people. But everybody was asking, like, what are you working on? Like, what are you building? And I wasn't building anything. I was just like fucking around on with mushrooms. And so I made it up and basically said, you know, hey, I'm building like the first mushroom based product or the mushroom product or something. And nine out of 10 people were looked at me and were like, it's not tech. I really don't care. And one guy who was an angel investor was like, that's really smart. I think mushrooms are, are really legit. I think, I think you're at like really ahead of the curve here. And the guy who put on, on the show, Sam, Sam Parr is his name. Like he would love this. So he goes, he introduces me to Sam Parr and all these other people are like suckling for his attention, standing around him. And my, this guy cuts everybody else off and is like, you need to talk to Parker. Like he's into mushrooms. And then I, Sam's like, okay, pitch me. And I made it up on the spot and was just like, it's a granola product and it's got mushrooms. And he was like, okay, cool. Oh, wow. Like, sounds cool. Like, here's my card, like send me the deck. And so then I went home and by that time I was just messing around on flavor for myself and at the office. 
But then we like we got a little bit more scientific with it with my friend's um, sister, and she we were we were like A B testing batches like mini batches in our kitchen oven where it was like there'd be eight like we would set up eight different segments on a pan and like each segment would have like a different flavor or a different factor, and then we would try them and then we'd find two or three. And then I would go to the gym because the gym was still open during COVID at this time. And I would do blind taste tests of our product versus purely Elizabeth and kind. So nice. I'd be like in the middle of a set, like put the bar down. And then I'd like walk up to the guy next to me and be like, what's up, dude? Like, you mind doing a blind taste test? Like, I, I swear there's no drugs in here. Like, and, and, and <laughs> Just I psychedelic mushrooms. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't even think I like, told people about the mushrooms because I, I, I think I tried early on and people were scared. And then, yeah. yeah, I think I was like kind of just... Honestly, yeah, it probably wasn't best practice. <laughs> and then, you know, collected a lot of data and it, it got to the point where like some flavors we had were like consistently beating these other these other big selling products on on flavor. And so it was like, okay, like we're we're winning these flavor tests and we have this cool added ingredient that I really believe in. Like it feels like we're onto something. And then, and and then yeah, we started making it a little bit more. We were like making it in a local uh, pizza oven, like at, at night at this cafe and it was like burning product. And we started selling it early on. Our first client, what was the Seattle bouldering project, like, like on, on their menu. And uh, for me, I, I didn't really like, I didn't even think about selling, but after I had like pitched Sam Parr and he told me to send me his pitch deck, my, one of my skills is, is PowerPoint from consulting. I put together a pitch deck and I'm like, okay, I better go start trying to sell this. And I didn't even think about how to sell it, but my first thought was two cafes to carry on menus. Uh -huh. So then I just started trying to sell it. And then that evolved over time and we were baking it and we moved to a co-packer and we've iterated on the recipe for like two and a half years, you know, wow. of course, slightly tweaking and ran into rancidity issues and shelf life issues and all of those problems. Yes. Yeah. And, and what did you ever do farmer's markets? So farmers markets were not open during when when I was really like oh, when you're building, yeah. yeah. And so for me, I, I feel like that part kind of got skipped, which is too bad because I think where I was at the time in farmers markets, I think I like really would have enjoyed them. We last summer we hit a couple here locally. Um, I'll I'll do one every once in a while, but honestly, of all it's and it's kind of sad. I, I feel like I really don't enjoy them, and like they suck energy out of me now. And so I I, I don't I don't do them anymore, which which I bet I, I know is kind of sad. And and I feel like maybe you're not expecting me to say that. Um, well, no, I mean it's a great segue because you know the reason that you caught my eye on LinkedIn is your promotional strategy, right? Because it's one thing to be stationary at a farmer's market for a couple of hours. But your promotional strategy is literally one of the best that I've witnessed. And that's saying a lot. I've witnessed a lot. Thanks. You know, you're you're the guy with the van, you know, traveling the country, you know, handing out, you know, sample. I mean, how cool is that? And, you know, tell us about the story, right, of your journey. How did you think of the van? What was the journey across you, the U.S.? Do you have any other strategies that you're working on? Or is that kind of the main strategy? Give us the stories. That should be fun. So I'm I'm building forage now, and I've got this pitch deck out. I'm trying to sell it, and you know we're now we're ordering ingredients like 50 pound bags, and you know it's starting to develop and kind of get out of hand a little bit. And I, I'm just again, I'm just having fun. Like I'm enjoying myself. Like this is fulfilling. Like it's exciting. I have autonomy, and. I'm sleeping on half of my bed in my room now because the other half has like ingredient or like finished good or like a, like a ceiling machine. I don't yeah. fucking know. <laughs> and so I like my mental health was spiraling. And, and so I, towards the end of this 18 month experiment, I lived outside for like three months one summer because it was like, oh, this would be fun. Cause I'm just like running experiments on myself and I, yeah. fuck it. Like, why not? Like, why don't people sleep outside? So I moved into a tent in the backyard and that was fun. And then I was back in the room and I'll still remember, it was, it was like March 17th. I was on a call with, with a client and he was super cool. He knew about Forage. All of my clients in consulting all knew about Forage and like were super supportive. And during that call, I started building the tent again because I was like, I need to do something about my mental health and separate my like sleep, which is so important in work. So I moved outside into a tent in, into my roommate and I's backyard. We like set up a deal. I had to like buy an extra mini fridge so I could like keep it outside <laughs> or something. I don't know, it was stupid. Yeah. And I lived outside in the tent and yeah, I mean, I just started like, that's a little bit when I started posting on LinkedIn and, and it was just like cool and fun and exciting to do something different. And, and it also like made me really committed to, to what I was building. So it, it also, and, and probably more importantly, opened my eyes to like, 
again, like you, like a lot of people are just sleeping in beds because that's what everybody tells them to do. Like, well, <laughs> why are we doing that? <laughs> fuck the beds. We're all going outside tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got some of the best sleep I think I'll ever get sleeping outside. Like, just was like cold and like quiet and dark. Yeah. And and I really liked it. So at that point, you know, we're like we started. Um, I start to realize like you kind of need money to build this business. Like I start to realize that a little bit. And as we're raising money, I'm like, look, like I'm realizing that like COVID is a thing and and some guys that I was pitching started their own business and they were old school sales guys. And I, on a call, I'm like, look, like I'm so committed to this brand and I'll actually share this with you all because I think you'll find this funny. And I have some good friends who still make fun of me about this. I was like, I am so committed to this brand. Like, I don't even buy new underwear because I put my money into this brand. Like, I'm not willing to buy new underwear because, and my underwear is like ripped. Like, I put my money into the brand. Like, I sleep outside for the brand. Like, I will get, I will live out of a car and drive around the country if I have to go bang on on, on these grocery stores' doors to get our product into stores. And that like revved them up. They were stoked on that. So, I don't know how many guys are listening and be like, <laughs> Uh, I haven't bought underwear in like 10 years. I don't know what he's talking about. Who cares? <laughs> well, there there was some gnarly underwear. Like we, I, don't, I, 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 I may have some photos somewhere and I, it's funny, Yuval, I started seeing a girl at one point and I, and I just remember there was a day where I, I went and bought new underwear. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, just like put it there. Yeah. We, can, we can give it at that. <laughs> Anyways. And so, and, and, and to me, as well, and, and part of what I love about Forage is that I've lo- I've also leveraged Forage on a personal level to like live the life I want to live. Like it enables my lifestyle in a lot of ways, and it also allows me to like be absurd in public and just like I again, it's I, I feel like I kind of like like trolling people a little bit, but I also like like social experimentation. And so like part of the reason of like oh like I'll go like sample product like in crazy places is. To me, that is fun. Like I thoroughly enjoy doing it because people are like so taken aback and then Forage just justifies me doing it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just doing it to build the brand. Like, fuck, sure, I'm doing it to build the brand. I'm also just doing it because I'm like need to have fun today and like entertain myself. I love that. But so back to the van, part of uh, on my bucket list, it's always been to live out of a van for Mm -hmm. a year. So that was part of it as well. I was like, cool, I'll get to live out, like I'll figure out a living situation. I'll get to live on the road for a year. It'll be building this business. It'll be really unique. It's a better way to get in front of people. Like this is a win, win, win scenario. And so I originally bought like a rooftop camper I was going to put on my old car and it, you know, like pops up Yeah. yeah. and it, it would have been fine sleeping. It would have been really tight in the car. I, I would have really struggled, I think. And then just last second, two weeks before I left, I got word about this like Japanese importer and there was a really affordable Japanese, you know, pop-up camper van and it was a 1995. It was born the same year I was. I was like, fuck, I was like, this is perfect. Like it's, it's affordable. I was like, I'll, I'll get the branding on it. Like it's got more space. Like this thing's cool. And the day I picked it up, I picked it up at like 8 p.m. I dropped it off to go get wrapped in the forward drop. I picked it up the next morning, got in it and left. And that was it. Like I'd never driven it. The wheels on the other side of the road. Didn't know how it worked. I had like a mattress that I thought would work up top. It didn't. I had to like buy scissors from a CVS one night and cut it in half and like put it up there. It was like a fucking nightmare. Are you alone awesome. or somebody driving with you? Yeah, I was I was completely alone. Yeah, and I, I spent 10 and a half months in that van driving around the country, figuring out how to live in it and just like, you know, we, we had opened up some distribution. So I was sampling product. I was opening up different retailers. I was, I was showing up at like buyer's addresses that I had had because like... A, People were working from home. And so like people would give their home addresses to send samples to. So oh, I like wow. showed, I, there were a couple instances I showed up at addresses and, and it wasn't the buyer's address. It was like the buyer's parents address and the buyer was no longer there. And it, they were like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, so what was, what, is there like a really memorable experience that you want to share in, in oh. your journey? Like something that really sticks out. I mean, that I have PTSD from that journey, you all. Like, I like I'm, I'm not even like gonna mess with you on that. I mean, there were so many awesome and wonderful things that happened, and, and great people I met, and strangers I interacted with, and just like really cool, like niche experiences. Like one, I'll, I'll, I'll list as a good example, and then I'll tell you about some bad ones that are yeah. more interesting. Was like a woman had had a bad interaction with one of our products that had like gone rancid. We were having some product quality issues and she emailed our account and she happened to be near where I was in the van. And so I just showed up at her house and like told her, I was like, I'm driving over. 
and she knew we were based out of Seattle and I was in somewhere in California and I showed up and she like triple took it. She like could not believe that I was there. And she like was just like shook. It looked like she had seen a ghost and like was so thankful. And she like hugged me and I gave her some new product. And during COVID with like the local kids on her block, they all painted rocks together. I don't know. It was cool. And she was like, I'd love for you to have one of these rocks. Like it would mean so much. And I found this really cool Where's Waldo rock that I keep in the van now. And it's just like those, those like really cool one-on-one connections where you can see it in someone's eyes that like you really just like made their day. And it's just like such a cool connection one-on-one. So there was a lot of stuff like that. And then you all, I mean, I I got bed bugs in the van at one point. Oh man. It was a nightmare. So what happens when you have bed bugs? I also like froze one night in the van, like I, I like full frost inside on my sleeping bag on my face. But what happens when you get bed bugs? Like you have bites, or is it, does you get allergic reaction? Oh my god! Reaction? Yeah, like it, what? yeah, like I had, I had bites along my leg and was like, oh my god! And then I like slept at a friend's one night and I like cleaned everything and was like, okay, I'm probably good. And then I went back and like more bites and th- and then I got it fumigated and it was like all good for a little bit. But I had taken some possessions out because the fumigation can like destroy things. And I thought it was all good. I, I was super careful to wash everything. And then they came back again. And like, it was, it was horrible. I, I wouldn't wish it on, on my worst enemies. What is your family thinking? You know, my, my <sighs> son and brother is out in a green van driving the country alone. Yeah. What are they thinking? Yeah. I mean, you know, gave well, up so a good my, job. At, you know. <laughs> they didn't like, they were like, my parents have always been really supportive. Like they, I think for them too, it provides like fun gossip for their friends. Like I, I think my dad like loves it to like tell his colleagues at work. I, I think they're secretly like very proud, but like, yeah, of course my mom is like slightly worried. And then the van broke down in the middle of New Mexico at one point. Like I, I had to pull off on the side of a highway and I woke up the next morning and I looked outside of my like tent and there was a dead cow carcass right next to me. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like it, there was just, all sorts of stuff like that. Like I, I met this really nice mechanic at, at this gas station. I had to sleep at once and he, he was also a trucker and he like helped work on some stuff. And then, you know, like he, he was like, man, like you should really smoke some weed with me. And I was like, no, I'm not smoking weed, dude. Like I got, I'm so stressed out about everything. And then I remember like thinking about it and I was like, dude, I should go smoke some weed with this random trucker on the side of the highway. And I like did it. And I was like, that was awesome. You know? And I was like, oh, hella great. stressed out, but it's just like so many fun, like one-off like solo experiences probably that I'll, I'll probably forget, but like, we're just so like awesome and like adventurous. That I, I, I have to say, and this is, and this is advice for everyone listening who's starting a business document every day, something don't leave it to your imagination to remember or to your mind to remember, because ultimately there's going to come a point where you look back and potentially maybe write a book or a memoir or something in that nature. I know, Mike Fata wrote, wrote a book uh, recently called Grow. And it's the journey is so powerful. And I remember some of the journey. I don't remember all of it. But when we were building our company, it's just the best. When you first start a product, like before you get even into retail and you're building your brand and you're going to raise funds and you're speaking with people and you're sampling the product and there's R&D and you just come up with this awesome you know, product and the first time you see it on the shelf and the first time you have an end cap and all of these firsts, you know, and the relationships and the, the, the day-to-day roller coaster ride from getting so excited because you get a PO and then super disappointed because you got discontinued from that same PO four months later. It's just like, it's, it's just really, really a once in a lifetime journey that if you don't keep track of, you're going to regret. So whatever you remember right now, put it down on paper. You're going to thank me 10 years down the line. Yeah. Guaranteed. Honestly, like getting on LinkedIn, part of it for me, you all was like, I'm treating this as a journal. Yeah, like exactly. I now have it all, like a lot of it documented. Like that story I just referenced, I, I, I've talked about on LinkedIn before. And I remember, and I actually, I do keep sort of like a memoir type notes where I'll write short stories of things that'll yep. happen to me in life that I really like. But I'm not as good about, you know, I don't think anybody's as good about it as, as they really want to be, or, or I think most aren't. But yeah, I, I think what you said is super spot on. Like there are memories I would just like kill to have like ton of detail on, probably like more detail on stuff in the tent. Like there, there was like a loose murder out one night in the tent. And like, <laughs> I remember there was helicopters going and my neighbors were like, dude, get out of the tent. I was like, it's fine. Like I'm totally <laughs> fine. He, he, he got arrested like three houses down. Oh, like man. it was awesome. Yeah, those are great uh, memories. So what's your long-term goal? 
with Forge? What do you what do you envision a company growing yeah, I mean, and evolving to? I think about it a lot. Like I I think I want to get it to like a really comfortable spot where like it's it's either like a a, a small exit or like or like or, or or you sort of like hand over the keys to someone. Like I, I think I really like the zero to one or like zero to five. Like I think mm-hmm. I, I think that's like really fun for me yeah. and, I, and I just feel like that's where I would thrive. And so at that point, like I'd love to like. And I'm not that financially motivated, which feels odd. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I've just convinced myself that. But I'd love to like build it to a certain point, and then bring in someone who wants to take it to that next point, and then stay, you know, stay involved 20, 25 percent, and then go and like work on some other projects. Right? I, I think that is like what really excites me. I really like projects. I, I again, I like that like zero to five range, and so. As as I've you know as I've been asked that question like a thousand times and probably given five hundred different answers, I f- feel like I've like actually started to think a lot more about it, and I feel like that's like what I would really like I- in an ideal world like ha- have the outcome as. So like right now, I'm trying to build like slightly slower growth, like profitable, like a clean business where it's like you could bring in like an operator who could come and like continue to grow this in a really like sustainable fashion. And I could still be involved and and be doing things that are really valuable, but then have time and freedom um, and, and permission to like go and build other things as well. I love that. I love that because you're not regimented to some sort of outcome. You're basically saying, look, I like what I'm doing. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to build it as I as, as I plan to, but if something comes along, you know, you're a free spirit and I, and I love that. But let's transition out a little bit from the business side um, and head over to relationships. So, you know, maintaining relationships is really crucial for any entrepreneur, uh, especially when you're dedicating so much time, right, and effort to your venture. Could you share some insights that you've gained about nurturing both family and non-family connections? So, Discuss maybe some lessons that you've learned along the way. It's hard to be committed, obviously, to a relationship. It's even when you are in a relationship, it's it's difficult just to maintain that relationship. Then you have family dynamics, and you're on the road a lot. So how how does the relationship side of things impact you? Yeah, I mean it's it's challenging. Like I've lost some good friendships, and or like really tethered some relationships just through the business like early on like you get involved with some friends or something and and things don't work out and it it never ends as as pleasantly as as you'd assume you know probably have had three different relationships that have come to an like significant other relationships that have come to an end because you know and 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 i got smarter about this over time of setting expectations up front of saying hey this like this is this like this is my number one priority and i i remember saying i've I've said this explicitly before you've all where I have said, hey, I want to be transparent. My number one priority is like forage. My number two priority is like my personal like well-being. And my number three priority is like training for this Ironman. And my number four priority is like community, which like you're probably a part of, but then like you're explicitly my number five priority. And, <laughs> like, and, and, and they never listen. Well, exactly. It's, it's, first... it's like all good. You know, they're like, yeah. oh, I totally get it. And totally you're like, okay, I don't it. think yeah. you do, but yeah. like... <laughs> And like sev like several times like like I was dating a girl, and I was like I'm I'm leaving to go on the road in three months, and she's like I know, and I'm like okay like, like, <laughs> like we're probably gonna end, and she's just like yeah no like it's cool, and I'm like okay, <laughs> like like it, it doesn't matter, and then you get to the point, and she's like I I can't believe like you're leaving, like yeah. like you're actually leaving, and like and like we're not gonna be together, and I'm like yeah like. I, I've been trying to be transparent about this. And like, thankfully her, this girl and I are like great friends today. And she's actually, she's actually started a really cool, she has a really cool product she's working on, but that's another story. Uh, yeah. I've had girls who have, who have messaged me and said like, Hey, like, are you ever going to spend time with me? Question mark. (laughs) And that that was a good indicator that that probably wasn't going to work. There's been a, a select few of other founders that I've, really like we're friendly with and then uh, it's really eroded and i don't know i think part of yuval and i don't know if you've seen this but part of being super public on some of these platforms is like it can create like perceptions about you and and there was a founder who like his brand's way bigger than my brand and like we were catching up one day and he was telling me just how upset he was and kind of depressed and and how he just sits in front of his screen on doing Facebook ads all day. And I'm like, dude, you got to get out there. Like, go, like, enjoy this. Like, like this, you should be trying to enjoy this. And he got like really negative and you know, he was like, fuck you. Like, you don't know better than me. Like our business is 10 times bigger than yours. Like, and I was like, okay, man, like I wasn't talking, I wasn't, didn't mean it like that. I was just like worried about your mental well being. So, I mean, it's puts a lot of strain on relationships. Um, and I'd say for me, 
I've had to like prune down um, relationships. And like, for example, right now, like I'm in a book club and that's like a lot for me. And, and, and there's a girl who, who I'm good friends with in the book club, like good friend of mine. Her name's, her name's Jen. I don't know. Maybe she'll listen to this. And I feel bad because like we've, we like have common interests and like people in the book club and like want to hang out. And I'm like, no, I can't hang out because I'm working. And like, and like, I, I have to prioritize the time towards work. Like I would love to come and I like all these things that are going on, but if I'm not disciplined, like things start falling through the cracks and then that's where like I get mentally anxious and like my mental well-being collapses. Well, welcome to the club because most yeah. people don't understand what it takes to run a business and they feel, you know, they look at the glitz and the glamour and they see the celebrities out there who have made it and they feel like, hey, I'm just going to start a business. But what they don't understand is the sacrifices that you have to make in order to make a good business run. And it's hard, even if you make the sacrifices, which we did in our first business and failed, it doesn't stop. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's the one thing. Is there, are there any regrets that you have? Yeah. I mean, ah, regrets, that's tough. I mean, I, I'd say definitely like mistakes and like relationships I've burned and like just didn't handle the right way. And I think it was, there's just a lot of like naivety. And I think early on for me that was happening because I was so indexed on the outcome and, and, and the potential financial gain and kind of listening to my friends and being like, whoa, like entrepreneur, like you're going to be so rich or like cool or whatever, <laughs> or big or whatever. And I think after I changed my, like a lot of my viewpoint and perception, like I'm, I'm a huge, like trust the process guy, love the yeah. process. I really, I don't care much about the outcome. I know that sounds silly and me again, maybe I'm lying to myself, but I think since I've changed that framework, like I've, I've, I like now operate out of this feeling of like, okay, I would never want to like, I don't care how, how bad someone messes up on our team. Like I would never shame them or make them feel bad about it. Like, or like get upset because it's just not going to be helpful in the long term. And like, let's just work on this together and like, we'll fix the problem together. And like, no one's going to die, you know? Yeah. And so I think taking that overall approach has been really helpful for me. Um, and you know, similarly, like, I, I like that how you frame that question because I, I try and frame that whenever things are, are coming along, personal or, or professional. It's like, would I regret not doing this? And if the answer is yes, then then I, I should do it. Hmm. What is the one habit that you think led to your success today? Mm, that's a good question. I think I'm incredibly disciplined about about time and and like you know task management. Like I, I'm very diligent about and, and very careful how I spend my time. Um, and, and I think it, it ends up, you know, being really valuable to me where it's like, okay, I, you know, spend a lot of time every single day, like structuring out my day, looking at my calendar, blocking all of the time on my calendar and trying to stick to that. It's, it's of course never perfect, but just being really mindful of, of how I'm spending my time, I, I think enables me to like focus on the important things for the most part, right? It's, it's never perfect. You know, just feel grateful that, that, that I've learned about some of these ways to help hold myself accountable. That's awesome. Discipline is definitely a good one, whether it's discipline of time or behaviors. So yeah. you mentioned that Forge was, you know, when you're talking to people and you're like, Forge is number one. And number two, it's me, right? So <laughs> me is me is hat number one, uh, mm, the self-love hat. <laughs> Without that hat, nothing is possible. So how do you manage your sanity in this ever-changing social media, traveling the country, yeah. stressful, demanding world of CPG. How do you, how do you keep, keep mental sanity? And well, I, I like what you just said, right? It's like your, your number one hat is, is like self-care. And when I was in the van and like up until I got out of the van, like Forage was number one. And I think post van, I've, I've reemerged as, as number one, which is a good feeling. <laughs> and, and so like, I'm definitely traveling less, like I'm not, you know, I'm not living out of the van. I'm not like doing as much of that, which, which in some senses is a little bit sad because it, it was fun and exciting. And a lot of that, like a lot of people know me from doing things like that. And, it, and it's enabled me this cool way to like network and meet a lot of people. But I like was seriously burned out from the van. Like very like mentally in a, in a dark spot for several months. Like I, I had like a relationship I was really into, like completely deteriorate. I like, my brother was working and kind of managing ops at the time. I kind of had to like, we, we had to part ways and it was just like 
really erosive at the time. Everything's actually totally fine now, which is awesome. We were like two weeks away from, from being a liquid. Like the van broke down in New Mexico. I had gotten bed bugs. Like we were having product quality issues. And I was like, I, I referenced that time. Like I, I swear, oh, I, I was wrongfully arrested for a felony. That was all in like two and a half months. I, I went through like, I feel like full ego death where I was like, and such a dark place and like so at the bottom that I, I was like, okay, like nothing matters. Like it's, it's so everything that's going on is so irrelevant. Like at the end of the day, like I, I should still have my health and like be alive. And like, I'm grateful for that. And I feel like I like reemerged out of that being like, okay, like at the end of the day, like I will take care of myself and like have, have built in a lot more like what I refer to as balance. You know, everybody's balance is different in, into my life. And now like in, definitely prioritizing like myself and my sleep and, and my own health. So I, I, I guess I, I, you obviously learned it sooner, sooner than I did. No, no surprise there. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to stay on that track for, for the time being. But I relate to what you're saying. And I think I admire you. I've admired you since I've started following you on LinkedIn and social media. Somebody who's got, who's young, who has a vision, who's courageous, who's willing to put it all on the line and just have fun with it, you're an inspiration to many who are just taking it too seriously. And I think that in life, life shouldn't be so serious. You know, there, there are definitely moments where you need to focus, but, but if you can have a good time, because at the end, we're all going to the same place. Yep. And at that point, it's up to whatever you believe, right? But until then, you only have one physical life here at the moment. And that should not be taken lightly. You don't want to end up at the end of your life asking or dying with your song in you, as Wayne Dyer would say. So really I'd like, like to close out my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? I, I, th I mean, I, I think you touch on it a little bit just right there. But I, I feel like when like there was a paradigm shift for me where I felt ex I felt accepted and confident being who exactly who I was. And I talked about this, the camp early on. And I feel like that was a lesson like that I learned at camp where at, at home at school, I was like part of this popular crowd and had this social status and, and was, part, you know, was was very heavily influenced by these friends I was hanging out with and, and was not totally myself was, was, I call it my asshole phase. <laughs> and, and then at camp was like fun and creative and goofy and, and didn't really care. And, and, and I feel like that personality for me, it, it took a long time to like fully shift, but I feel like starting the business, like ena enabled some of that as well, but also like it, it was that paradigm shift to be like, okay, like I, don't have to follow what others are doing or be who others are. And like, I will still be loved and appreciated and accepted for like whoever I am, like whatever that may be. Um, and I, and I think part of that as well, it's important to always be kind and assume positive intent. Um, but for me, it was, it was really a shift of like actually being who I am and like following my individual passions and not being embarrassed to like mushrooms. Right. Like when I first like found mushrooms and was kind of nerding about them, it was like, a lot of people were like, mushrooms are weird. Like that's, like, are you druggy or like, <laughs> are you going to like die? Like, that's like what an old person would do, you know? And I, and I feel like there was like a little like hesitation at first. And then it's kind of like, well, fuck it. And, and, and you, I think you'll just appreciate this. A saying that I, that is, is, is on like our, you know, our value system in forage is it's fuck them. Like F-U-C-K and then apostrophe E-M. <laughs> and it's like, if you ever have self doubt about like what somebody else will think versus for what you're going to do, it's just like, it's like, fuck them. Like, I don't fucking, <laughs> I don't care. Like, like do what, like what is calling to you. And you know, I think as long as you're a good human, which I believe most of us are like, and, and you're following your path, like fuck them. Who, who cares what other people think? I love it. You and I are on the same page there. You know, it's funny totally. when I interviewed Mike Fata, cause he created Manitoba harvest and he has, he was on actually delivering hemp to the masses. And everybody in his younger years, they were like, what are you, like a drug dealer? <laughs> what, are you, what are you selling marijuana? What's hemp, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah you, you definitely ran into that part. So where, where could the Seven Hatters find you, find Forage? Tell us a little bit about how they can connect with you. And, and it's funny because 
I was just reading up about that kid who sent you an email, or the mother of the kid sent you an email stating yeah. on how you impacted her kid's life and how she fell in love with your product and, and asked to, you know, for you to send her some product or send her a, yeah, like a sponsor, note. Sponsor's yeah, so, so what happened? What did you do with that just before we get to the, yeah, where I mean, can we find you? I love stuff like that. To me, stuff like that makes it all worthwhile when you yeah. can like have a like, cool impact on someone's life. And yeah, it was, it was a father reached out and, and he, uh, his kid and him found our, our products at Sprouts. And he was like, I don't know what to tell you, but like, my kid is obsessed. Like he like loves your branding and he loves the product and like we're stoked on it because it's like healthy and he like, he's never been so into anything. Like this is like his phase right now. Yeah. And they're like, so his birthday's coming up. We, we were hoping like maybe you could like drop him some product or write like a note. And so, yeah, we like, you know, I, I reached out to other brands in Sprouts and we got Sprouts involved and we sent him this huge care, this huge care package and was going to go visit him. And I also love children. So like, he kind of like pull on my heartstrings a little bit there. Yeah. And, and yeah, we kind of just blew out this kid's birthday and, and they recorded his response and it was gold. Like he's opening up. He's like, what's, what's in this big box? And he's like, he's like opening it up. He's like, dad, dad, what's, what's in here? And he's like, just open it, buddy. And he opens it. He's like, oh my God. And he like pulls out our granola and he's like, Ah, <laughs> it was so cool. Oh my God. Like, they, were you able to really... share that? Did, they, did you get permission to share that? Really? Yeah, I, I actually have the video. I've sent it into Sprouts. I, I should post the long form video on, on LinkedIn. I like, can't it. believe I yeah. have it, honestly. Post it, post it on LinkedIn. I'll share it because that, that sounds like a great okay, video. Okay, yeah. Let me, I'm going to take a quick note. Too. So where could we find your wonderful granola and where can they find you? Yeah. So, you know, www.forage.co. So that's F-O-R-I-J.co is our website where we, where we do most of our online or most of our direct selling for our products. We're, we're, we're about to launch a meal bar concept and you've all, we didn't get into this, but our, basically like our, our granola margins have been sliding for the past 12 months. So we're like, well, we launched these meal bar concepts, but like the granola is no longer a sustainable line, wow. but we're really, really excited about these meal bars, but could something, it's discussion for a, few, a future point. And then, yeah, on LinkedIn, you know, and obviously you've all, you and I are, are on there and always hashing it up, but that's, that's always the, the best place to, to chat and, and become friends and colleagues and connect with us. We have some fun stories about our CPG experiences and uh, yeah. you won't, you won't regret it. Parker, it has been a delight. I've lived another journey, another CPG journey through <laughs> your eyes and so many memories came out from your story that related to my story. It seems like we're all brothers in the CPG community. I thank you for blessing us on the seven hats. I know this is going to be a fun and a wonderful story. Can't wait to share it. And let's end the show with another fist bump to the screen. Yes. Oh, all no. Right. Oh, I thought I exited it out. Okay, no, you're good. good. You're good. <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Parker. Let's end today with a show segment that I refer to as what can we hang our hat on? And here is my takeaway. Once upon a time in the era of Gen X, I was a budding entrepreneur who ventured into the world of CPG without the advanced technology and real-time data that we have today. The internet was in its infancy and smartphones were not yet in existence. Despite these limitations, I forged ahead with ingenuity, grit, vision, and passion creating an incredible business that I hoped would change the world. Fast forward to the present, I met Parker Olson, a Gen Z entrepreneur who reminded me of myself 17 years ago. Parker embarked on his journey to create a granola business called Forage. Unlike my journey, he was equipped with the power of the internet, social media, and AI, and had access to real-time data and instant feedback from his followers. These technological advancements allowed him to accelerate his entrance into the market quicker and cheaper than ever before. But what set Parker for success and why I related to him as a Gen Xer was his unwavering dedication to the fundamental principles that defined a successful entrepreneur. Ingenuity, grit, vision, and passion. As the world faced the challenges of the COVID years in 2020 and 2021, Parker took matters into his own hands, traveling the country in his van to promote his granola product. This hands-on approach enabled him to connect with customers and gain invaluable insights into their needs and preferences. 
His commitment to sustainability and ethically sourced ingredients resonated with customers, earning him a loyal customer base and widespread industry recognition. From his humble beginnings in his kitchen, Parker's relentless drive and determination propelled Forage to become a thriving business with a significant impact in the consumer packaged goods sector. The story of Parker Olson and his granola business, Forage, reminds us that although technology and information access have evolved, a successful entrepreneur's core qualities remain the same across generations. Through these timeless values and the smart use of modern tools, today's entrepreneurs can make their mark on the world just like every generation past by embracing the fundamentals, adopting to change, staying customer-focused, becoming resilient and resourceful, striking a balance to avoid burnout, and most importantly, believing in yourself. Confidence in your vision and abilities will set you free and provide the greatest chances of success on your journey. I want to thank Parker once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so that we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selick, and I tip my hat to you.